Hi, friends. Before I jump into this week's episode, I wanted to give you a couple of alerts. First of all, this week's episode with Jen Schwanke was recorded with my wrong mic hooked up. So you're going to hear a huge change whenever I jump into this week's episode because I have a mic that plugs directly into my system. And instead, I was using my Zoom mic that went directly through my laptop. So the quality is just not the same as it normally is. And I hope you don't mind. But the value, I believe, is just extraordinary because you know that Jen Schwanke brings value. And we're going to be talking about how district leadership can support the work of principals. And speaking of district leadership, the second thing I wanted to tell you, in a couple of weeks, you're going to get to hear a conversation that I have with a good friend in Texas whose name is Carrie Lanias. And Carrie is a director who works with aspiring and present leaders at the Pecos District, where I've been doing some professional development with their aspiring and assistant principal teams all year long. And so before I jump into this week's episode, I wanted to just share you a sneak peek of one of her teachers, this testimonial about what her experience has been like sitting through a Principal Matters PD workshop all year long together and the lessons she's taking back to her classroom. Hi, my name is Courtney Navarrete and I'm a fifth grade math teacher currently working on my master's to become an administrator. Learning about the different hats that administrators wear has been the biggest takeaway for me. There are so many different aspects to the job. We'll really use the best real world examples in order to illustrate the importance of each hat. As a student working towards becoming an administrator, I really enjoyed being in a group setting with current administrators who gave insight into what it's like wearing the different hats that were given. I also took with me into my own classroom the growth mindset of not yet. I wrote on my board, you haven't failed, you just haven't succeeded yet. And I really tried to encourage my students to implement this new thinking of not yet. And I plan on taking that with me as an administrator as I help teachers reach their goals and reach their full potentials, realizing that we may not be where we want to be right now, but we're just not there yet. Courtney, thank you so much for sharing those takeaways from the learning that we've been doing together this year. And Principal Matters listeners, maybe you have some leadership teams that are being developed on your campus this year, or you're looking at summer development, or you're looking at development for the 22-23 school year. If you are interested in ways that I have been able to coordinate, facilitate learning with leaders across the U.S., reach out. My email is will at williamdparker.com. I would love to answer your questions or just jump on a Zoom with you or have a phone call and talk about ways that we might be able to partner together in supporting your leaders. Well, thank you for doing what matters, and I'm looking forward to sharing this week's episode with you with Jen Schwanke. Principal Matters Podcast, episode 289. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring your inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about supporting school communities district-wide with my guest and welcome back co-host, Jen Schwanke. Jen Schwanke is the assistant superintendent for Dublin City Schools and previous principal, the author of two great books on principal leadership. For those of you that are meeting Jen for the first time, go back and listen to multiple episodes that we've done together. 
before she stepped into a new role where she's too busy to record <laughs> with me. But Jen Schwanke, welcome back to Principal Matters Podcast. I have so many questions that I want to ask you, but first just give some uh, listeners an update on how you are and what's been going on with Jen Schwanke. Yes, it's so good to be here again. And, um, you know, busy is relative, right? And I, I joke with my friends that that busy took on a whole new meeting when my children became teenagers, because now that you don't even have Saturday afternoon to count on, all, all the time has been taken. So the work is good, though. You know, the, the challenges always continue. Um, we've moved a little bit away from some of our anxiety and, and frustration about COVID, and, and we've moved on to other things. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that in many cases, most cases, actually, students are back in school and, and rebuilding those rhythms and routines. So that's a, that's a positive celebration that we have, I think, for, for all principals going forward. Well, Jen, did you guys just experience spring break? Because I follow you on social media and there were some really cool pictures of you and your kids just having so much fun. Where were you? And was that break time? Yes, we did. We went to uh, Riviera Maya in Mexico, just went for five days. My daughter gets really, really homesick, which again, who knew that that would be something you'd have to keep in mind, but she misses the puppy. So we don't go long, but we, um, yeah, we went and we did some swimming in cenotes and we, um, we ziplined and I read about 14 books or magazines. So it was, it was my kind of vacation for sure. Oh, I love that. Well, Jen, in your new role as an assistant principal and in your doctoral dissertation work, you kind of combined two new worlds. You, you spent so many years in the classroom and so many years in school leadership. And I've really been wanting to pick your brain, so I'm so glad that you were able to connect today because I want to talk about the topic of supporting school communities district-wide, and I want to do that by just probing into you're now almost at the end of a full school year, and I know it doesn't seem like that uh, because you're still managing, like everyone else, all the difficulties and challenges and opportunities that happen with with the work that you do, but I, I just want to jump right in because I think sometimes as school leaders, um, it's helpful for us to see the context of our colleagues in the work that they do, but especially now that you're in this role, I, I'd love to reflect on how that helps you um, think about historically and systemically the role of, a, of an assistant superintendent right. and their support of schools. So I, I, I'm just going to ask you first, um, and you can go any direction you want to on this, but my first question to you would, would be, what are some of the main responsibilities that you've learned to embrace in this new role? Yeah, and thank you for permission to take it where I'd like to, because I'm going to answer a question you did not ask first. You did mention my doctoral studies, and I'm in the last six months of a process in which I'm studying the assistant superintendent role. And I am technically called a deputy superintendent. And to be quite frank, I didn't know the difference, nor did I know what an associate superintendent does, nor did I know the distinction between a chief academic officer or a chief operations officer. And that's what I'm studying. And what I'm finding is every district is so unique in terms of their board of education needs, their superintendent needs, their community, their demographics, the readiness of teachers and, and principals to lead and instruct without support. And so every single district has its own unique story of how they have organized their central office. And of course, we knew that anecdotally, but I have found that to be true in 100% of the cases. And so the title doesn't matter so much as the responsibility and the work and really the intentionality of how the, the work is distributed. And so now I'm going to start to answer the question you did ask. 
in my new role, I had many trusted colleagues advise me, don't ever forget what it's like to be a principal. And it sounded um, eerily and appropriately like the people who had told me, don't ever forget what it's like to be a teacher. And so we all say that, right? But what I have found is we really have to mean it. And what does that look like in practical terms? For me, I have to constantly push pause on myself because I'm a quick thinker and an actor. And I have to I have to often say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm assuming I know how this is going to feel, sound, and, and um, be for principles. But what I need to do is pick up the phone and call them. And I need to talk through the nuances of what we're doing and get their feedback. And again, 100% of the time, I learn something or hear something I hadn't considered. And I remember doing that as a principal too. You know, I was a teacher. I know what this is going to be like. Well, did you walk down the hall though and ask? Because that's what I find I need to do. And, and so how does that apply to your listeners? All of us live in a land of assuming we know how things will feel or how it will um, work in real life. But boy, there's never anything lost in asking. There's never anything lost in taking that extra 10 minutes or 10 hours to say, I'm going to really ask people who are in the trenches of this position what this is going to mean to them when we roll it out. So um, now let me summarize everything I said. Everyone in a, in a leadership role may have a different workload or different responsibilities. And to do it well, we just have to make sure that we get input from those that it affects the most. Jen, there's so many takeaways there. Uh, but, <laughs> a lot of talking, a lot of words. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I love that. Not just say it, but mean it. And I think that's such a great reminder that in every role that we play, we have to put ourselves back into the skin of the people that we're serving. And that goes at every level, whether you're teachers who need to step back into the skin of students, or whether you're an individual who maybe needs to look through the eyes of a parent, or maybe you're a principal who needs to feel what it like is to be back in the skin of that teacher. All of us are gonna work better when we're taking the opportunity to reconnect with the people we're actually serving, which means picking up the phone or walking down the hall or having a conversation. I was with a group of, of aspiring leaders last night at a college class for everyone in there is a principal candidate. And the question came up, how do you lead, make really tough decisions and be collaborative at the same time? I love that tension in that question. Right, right. And I said to them, I said, You're, here, here's the key collaborative leadership, making tough decisions and being collaborative, those aren't, um, those can happen at the same time. But when you've built trusting relationships, then people trust you for those tough decisions. Right, it, right. So if, unless you built trust, then when you make that hard decision, they're, they're not necessarily going to trust you. And that right. just takes time. And it's never, that's never a quick fix because relationships right. are, are not easy. And I can imagine in your role, and I've never served in the role you're serving in, but of course I serve in a support role here. But I imagine in your role that those become exponentially bigger or more difficult because now you're serving district-wide. You're not just serving right. in one school community. And so that was going to be my next question, which is what are some of the challenges that you face in the, uh, the unique role now of trying to make sure you're still supporting teachers and principals the way that they deserve to be but 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 what are the what's the tension right. and the rub there that you've that you face? Well, I'll be vulnerable in my answer, and and I'm going to tell you that the scope of the people I serve means that they don't know me very well, and and what I mean by that is I made a decision not long ago that um, was grounded in in what I felt was um, good practice, and I felt like I really um, 
it, it was right. It was the right thing for kids. And it was the right thing because it was going to give teachers and principals a way to answer a complicated question in a simple, truthful, honest way. And the, what happened was I was questioned and, and uh, for my motives. And it was deeply hurtful because I kept thinking, if only they knew me, if only they knew me. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, they can't know me. I'm, I have a district of 17,000 students and I can no longer assume like I could when I was a principal or a teacher that they knew my soul, you know, that they knew my core beliefs and my philosophy. And, and I had to reconcile that with the, the fact that they just can't know me, not on this scale. And over time, to your point, Will, over time, they will get to know me and that trust will be built, but it's not as easy to build relationships on this scale. Um, and, and if it's okay, I, I'd like to add two to one more point about leading in, in any sense. And, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, but just that, that um, the gift of asking questions and listening to the answers really is applicable to anyone in, in education. But not too long ago, I was on a call with some other assistant superintendents. And I said, I, I have a question I, I don't know the answer to. And I think I may be answering it wrong in my own mind. I said, we're hearing from teachers and principals that behaviors post COVID, student behaviors are very problematic. And I don't see it reflected in our district data. Does that mean that we're not tracking it as we used to? Does that mean that we're giving students more grace as they acclimate back to the classroom? Or does that mean that because we had time virtually or in hybrid situations, the behaviors feel bigger? And every single person answered with compelling and heartfelt stories that, the, that behavior, student behaviors are a problem in ways they weren't before. So listening to them, I was able to reframe my own assumptions and move away from that idea that, oh, maybe we're just being dramatic into, okay, we have to solve this because this is a, a national challenge we're facing. And this is why teachers are crying out and saying, I don't feel heard. I don't feel supported. I need tools. And, and so we can't live alone in this because if we say, you know what, we'll be fine. We're not listening. And I do think this is a national problem and maybe international. Um, and we have to change how we solve behavior problems. Oh, Jen, that's a whole nother topic I would love to go into <laughs> to, in these conversations as well. So I've got to reflect on that. First of all, thanks for being vulnerable in your reflection on even the, the dynamics of building relationships within your districts. But I love that idea of of getting perspective and really listening to what our teachers and principals are saying about what's happening with students. I was on the phone call this week with an assistant principal at a middle school, and she said, well, it's spring, and, I, and I, I've been dealing all day with seventh graders. And she said, I had to finally remind my teachers, guys, think about this. Our current seventh graders haven't had a normal school year since fourth grade. So right. there's there's so many dynamics involved in the process of a stable school year that they've never experienced and the maturity and the growth that happens within all those things too. And so she's just trying to hold on to perspective, you know, that this right. does seem overwhelming and it, and it is overwhelming. Um, but we've got to get a long-term perspective here too. I don't know why, but you're reminding me of a quote I heard from a friend this week by John Maxwell that says that, and that a, um, that a pessimist, um, complains about the wind, 
that an optimist expects it will change, but that a leader adjusts his sales. Yeah. And I thought that is, that's so wise. Exactly. And when you were telling me that story, I was thinking about like, how, how do we adjust our sales now as we move forward? Because this is the dynamic that even though it feels like things are getting back to normal in April, that when we're recording this, you and I both know that this may not be back to normal or whatever right. normal is may not ever look like it did before post COVID. But, um, but in the process, we're not going to solve it unless we're listening. We're not going to solve it unless we're really um, staying united together. And I'll say one more thing too: any district leaders that are out there that have the, and I know you guys have probably done this, but um, I, and I'm talking to some who have and some who haven't, but if you have the capacity to pay your people bonuses for the hard work that they've done <laughs> in these last couple of years, then do it because there has to also be a tangible reward with, I know it's been hard to cover classes all year long. I know it's been hard to have so much disruption and we value you right. uh, because we've got to, we've got to communicate to our people how much we value them too. Right. I'm going to give a, a trick that I have been toying with the last few weeks. I'm reading a book and it's actually a, a memoir of a woman, fascinating. It's called Lady Parts. If anybody's looking for a fun audiobook, she um, talks about teaching herself to say yes and. And the reason this is different for me is sometimes I catch myself saying yes, but. So, um, okay, classroom behaviors, behaviors are worse than they've ever been. Well, yes, but remember, they haven't had a, a regular school year, or yes, but it could be worse. I've started to try to say yes. And we might need to think about how to handle this differently or yes. And the way I think teachers are feeling about this is dot, dot, dot. Um, somebody, I heard a quote along the way that anything before the but in a sentence doesn't matter. That the, when someone says, yes, I hear you, but then you might as well lop off the first half of that sentence because the but starts it all over, right? And so I've started to say yes, and I can still Prove, provide a counterpoint after my and, but I haven't said but because that that means that that I'm arguing right or I'm or I am trying to make it about something else. So it's just a fun little game to play with yourself. Say yes and because it will align you with the person you're talking to and prove that you're listening and you might come with something else to add to their conversation. Uh, Jen, that's so good. Thank you for that. I want to ask you a follow-up question. This has to do with your research because mm -hmm. you've been, you're so busy, but, but in a good way, <laughs> you're growing as a school leader, you're, a, you know, you're act so active with your family, but you've also been earning your doctoral degree and you did a really wise thing, which was, I'm going to connect this dissertation with the work I do. Right. And so I've been really curious um, since it's been a long time since you and I have visited about your dissertation to just ask you how it's going and what is your own research showing you about that, the historic and systemic work of, of central office roles in their support of schools and school leaders? Right, right. And, and I think a lot of people listening to this, if, if someone's listening to this, they are a reflective and forward-thinking leader. And um, many people do reach out to me and said, hey, t tell me about getting the doctorate. And I, I'm not quite ready to reflect fully because I'm not done yet. But what I would tell you is, is the learning that comes with a um, forced <laughs> personal professional development journey is really invaluable. And 
what I was able to do working with my university and my advisor is really do a deep dive historical study into the history of school leadership and school administration. I'm talking history as in 1640, okay? And how public education began and the, the commitment to a educated democratic society and the commitment from the um, colonists of this country to not have executive leadership, but to have boards of education, councils they were called, who would lead our boards. And then over time, okay, we, we have money problems and we have building problems. We need a, somebody in charge. Okay, let's hire a superintendent. And then over time, yeah, let's get some principal, let's get a principal in every building. And then over time, hey, let's have an organizational structure that our community can see transparently how decisions are made. And so that evolution combined with challenges that our country faced whether it was World War I, the Depression, World War II, the Civil Rights mo Movement, um, the Supreme Court beginning to weigh in on public education um, decisions, student rights, um, Brown versus Board of Education, all of those historical events that many of us see through the eyes of our, the textbooks we read when we were in high school, they had you know, massive impacts on what we do today in 2022. And so, you know, my urging to anyone is, is really, if you have time, look into why, how we got where we got today. And in terms of school leadership, one thing that has changed very little is the principal. The, they used to be called the principal teacher. That's how we got that phrase, by the way. The principal teacher was the teacher in charge. And whether that was a one-room schoolhouse or a multi-room schoolhouse, though that principal teacher was the one who ultimately made decisions about how students learn. And we're still there today. That has changed very little. Wow, Jen. I cannot wait to... Um, <laughs> till you have the finished product, but I'm still going to pick your brain a little bit more. Yeah, please. Um, the, you know, because when I think about... And I think, I, I don't know, maybe it's because uh, I've always been reflective, but it seems like in the last few years, especially as we've looked at the historic and systemic systems around us that somehow sometimes affect us without us knowing it. Like, I'll give you an example historically, like, you know, throughout the U.S. in large cities, redlining created places yes. where you were only allowed to live based on um, your race. And now we have decades later, um, we still live with those those dynamics of of areas of our cities that maybe didn't have as much wealth or prosperity or have more poverty than others. And so sometimes you're you're swimming in an ocean of of cultural outcomes that you're not even aware of until you become aware of the history. And I'm curious as you think back to the work that you've been doing looking at school leadership, is there one or two things that stick out to you that that we're still working through right now as school leaders that maybe we're not even aware is 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 culture is cultural baggage. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned redlining because that was really a um, a real estate issue that had has huge impacts on schools. And if you, there's a lot of books out there that, that you can read or articles about the impact of redlining on schools. So that's one good example. Another one are, are Supreme Court cases. I teach a class on school law to, um, it, for Miami, Miami University of Ohio. And I, it's my favorite class to teach, Will, because people are blown away about Supreme Court cases that affected what we do and how we do them. So, and all it takes is a Google search. Now, I, you know, it certainly helps to have a university professor help you along with this, but we can all become students of these things. 
Brown versus Board of Education was an extremely complex case. We may have seen the movie and we know that case was out there, but if you really look at the five cases actually that culminated in that one, and then the results of Brown two, they called it, which in which districts were asked to um, desegregate with all deliberate speed and the way districts interpreted that in very different ways. And you know, some districts just shut down. They didn't want to do it, so they didn't. And so black students were not educated for, for you know, four or five years, especially in like Prince Edward County of Virginia. The impact on literacy for decades, not just for those students, but for their children, we still feel that. Another example were some Supreme Court cases in which students were given rights. They were given rights to due process or to a hearing or to silently protest. You know, the, the Tinker case, if you just type in Tinker Supreme Court, you know, students have a right to do that. And before the Supreme Court weighed in on that, school leaders had a lot more autonomy. And I don't say that as a good thing. They had, they could do what they wanted, when they wanted, and students and their parents had no recourse. And so it changed the role of school leaders in ways that we still feel and, and many districts did not evolve as quickly as probably they should have. And so some districts still do search and seizures that they should not do. And if, if we all kept up on those um, events in history, then our work would actually be a lot easier now. And, and we wouldn't have the um, sometimes complicated relationships with parents based on the decisions we make. Mm, thank you for those examples, Jen. And I, I um, so appreciate that all the work that you're doing digging in not just your own dissertation but also the work that you're doing teaching school leaders about school law i, I don't know this story is just sticking in my mind right now but last week i was listening on um the news to schools in tokyo that have just um rewritten their um, policies across the city that will now allow students um, different dress code options. And mm -hmm. I was not aware that in Tokyo, mm -hmm. at least according to this new story, and, I, and I'll have to look this up so listeners can maybe link to something that's uh, readable. But, but according to this new story, uh, st uh, students in Tokyo have um, always been required for their hair to be the same color as everyone else. So mm -hmm. girls, for instance, who maybe genetically are born with lighter hair are required to dye them black. And I was not aware that that was even culturally expected and enforced by policy until right. now, uh, including not only like what they could wear on the outside, but also like the color right. of their underwear was right. dictated by, by, by school right. policy. And so as well, I listened to that story, I just thought, what, what, what? Right. we probably are swimming through some weird cultural norm in our school that we don't right. think about as so odd either. Well, if you, I'm glad you brought up dress codes. Many districts across our country are, um, across the United States, are having this conversation. They're looking at dress codes and they are seeing, you know, very, very um, covert biases in those dress codes. And some districts are being courageous enough to take a look at them and, and bring their boards of education along to say, wait, what are we saying to our boys and girls? What are we saying about what they think they are and who they think they are based on what they look like and having that conversation. And there's a lot of pushback. They're getting a lot of pushback from community, but they're also getting people saying, thank you. Thank you. Because I wear a hood does not mean that I'm trouble. And, and I think it's time we, we do some of that work because dress codes written in 1950 are not applicable today. They're just not. 
Well, Jen, I'll stay on this track for one more question. But I, you know, as a district leader, I think you also have a unique role. And correct me if I'm wrong, but especially as I work with other friends that share similar roles with you, I think principals face this every single day in their buildings. But at the district level, you face this community-wide. When you have competing ideas of what should or should not be happening within schools, you're often called to be that mediator. And so I I imagine in that role that you're facing now that that's probably been more pronounced uh, than even what you were doing at the building level. I I don't know if you want to speak to that or not, but I know that's heavy. Well, how much time do you have? I think we could do a whole podcast on this. Maybe we should in the coming weeks. Um, It's true. There's people come with their own perspectives, but they also come with their own lived experiences. And we all carry the perspectives of our parents who, whether they're still with us or not, there's, you know, generations of input and programming that, that guide our perspectives. And we are in a place of division in our country and these perspectives sometimes collide. And where I have found a lot of um, ground can be covered is when I'll say to a parent or a teacher, you can make that decision for yourself. You may not make it for other people's children. And I have had more than ever in my 24 year career, I have had to go back to policy because policy is written by legal experts who understand different perspectives. They understand it. So it is usually written in a way that gives us guidance but does not give us rules. And so I think we can use both policy and an understanding of our um, scope of decision-making. And by our, I mean parents, teachers, leaders. We cannot use our own uh, perspective and um, point of view to make decisions about other people's perspective and point of view. That's so wise. Well, Jen, I wanna wrap up this conversation about the role of district-wide support by just bringing it full circle back to principles for just a moment. Um, Because I know right now we have listeners who have positive relationships with the people who support them from their district level. And I know we have principals who have negative relationships with the people that support them from those district levels. And so often I I, I do hear attention when I'm talking to to leaders that they sometimes feel like their central office supporters um, and I'm just going to give you the scenario that I've, I've seen principals communicate, even through social media. You know, there's this, I saw this, um, maybe it was a video on Twitter the other day, and this person had put up um, a, the day of a principal, and it was this guy sitting there with piles of paper, and he, I think he had a headband on, and he was just sweating and moving all over the place and answering the phone, and then he had switched to the day of the central office employee, and it was this person sitting there with a clean desk, and, and the little thought bubble was, what can I think up for them to do next? Right. And I thought that's so interesting because I'm sure that perspective is based in someone's reality. Yep. But I also know that that speaks to attention that yep. often leaders feel like, do you really know what's going on here? And why are you asking right. me to do more? And yet at the yep. same time, you're expected to hold them accountable. So give us yeah. just a moment to speak to that sure. tension. Well, I think that tension's very real. I have felt it before. You know, as a principal, I thought, oh my gosh, must be nice. I haven't, you know, chewed my, I haven't had a lunch or chewed my food in, in 15 years, but must be nice to be able to sit down and have some time. And, and I will tell you, I, I don't know if this is accurate. I'm telling you about my experience. I think we are who we are wherever we go. So I have always had a clean desk. I did as a teacher. I did as a principal. I do now. Um, I, I always think quickly, work quickly, act quickly. I never have lunch. You know, those, that's just who I am. And so I think sometimes we make assumptions about a role based on our interaction with a person. 
So that would be my first caution there. And so speaking personally, my life has not slowed down a bit. I don't, I don't think I sit around with a speech bubble above my head thinking, hoo, 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 let's think of work to do. I like to think of myself as someone who takes work away. But of course I would, right? Of course I'm going to say that. And your listeners are probably rolling their eyes. But it, it brings me back to that saying that we all should live by was, is don't judge until you've walked in their shoes. You know, just it, it's, we're all doing the best we can with every minute that's been allotted to us with every gift of every day. And um, hopefully we can all sleep well at night knowing that, that we spent the day with our feet on the ground doing, doing really good work for, for the next generation of, of people who are going to lead us. That's fantastic. Well, Jen, as we wrap up this conversation, I just want to, first of all, thank you for taking time to reconnect and let listeners catch up with what's going on with you. Uh, Principal Matters listeners, if you're familiar with Jen Schwank, you already know that her resources are available. Uh, she's an ASCD author. Uh, you can find her at her website at jenschwanke.com. She does amazing PD with teachers and principals and leaders. And so I cannot recommend Jen oh, enough for the great work that she does. But I also know that there may be some folks listening to Jen for the first time. And so please go back into the archives of the Principal Matters episodes because uh, dozens of conversations there that Jen and I have had over the years of, uh, and, and dozens more to come as Jen gets closer to wrapping up her, her dissertation. But Jen, as we wrap up this week, uh, any closing thoughts for, for school leaders as we wrap up? Because I know this, this time of year especially, it's yes. hard for everyone. Yes. Any closing thoughts as we wrap up this week? Well, I, I was just, you know, feeling grateful for the words you just said about me. And it, it reminded me that right now, maybe is the time to um, make sure we appreciate the people around us. And um, if we all promise today to give a compliment to a couple of others, think what, think what impact that would have, you know, you've got tens of thousands of people downloading your, your, your podcast these days. And if, if every single one of them told a couple of other people what they're really good at, that would be my parting thought. Let's all let's all extend some kindness today. Let's do, let's do it. it. All right. Let's do it. So, so <laughs> as we're wrapping up this conversation, Principal Matters listeners, I want you to think about that one thing you're going to walk away with from today's conversation. And if that's just taking a moment to reach out to someone in your sphere to remind them why their work is encouraging to you, let's spread it. Yes. Uh, because let's do it. the kind of positive need to wrap up the school year. Well, Jen Schwanke, thank you so much for your time and your expertise and your heart. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you so much for what you do because what you do matters. We'll talk to you again soon. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.